Remain standing for the reading from God's word. Today's teaching is from Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. You may now be seated. Try that again. Good morning. Oh, come on. I'm going to say this. Usually the nine is a bit louder, but it seems like you guys came to play today. Let's go. Um, Well, hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, If you are with us for the first time, we are in a series called Love God, Love People. And so what we've been doing is taking a, a look at what the greatest commandment from Mark chapter 12 is. And so I shared this every week if you've been with us, but, but really the, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus when they ask what the greatest commandment is. They don't think there's any way he can answer this, but to their surprise, he answers to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we've been looking at what each one of these means. And so today we are on the final one, which is love God with our strength. Now, this one is a little harder to, to actually get a description for because this word strength actually translates pretty uniquely. In fact, I mentioned this the first week, but uh, Jesus in Mark chapter 12, he's actually quoting part of the Shema prayer. The Shema prayer was a central prayer for the Jewish people that they prayed morning and night. And so when Jesus answers the greatest commandment, he's again quoting partly from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, which says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the Hebrew word here for strength is an interesting word. It is the word miod. Can you say that? Miod. Miod. Very, very good. It is actually translated 300 times in the Old Testament. 300 times. What's interesting about this word is it is only translated strength or might one time. And that's actually Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Really, almost every other time this word is translated, it's actually an adverb, and it's best translated with or very. And so it's translated very this or very that. So it'd be like very deep, very big, very good, very bad. Just to make sure you're tracking, let me just show you one example of how this word miod is used in the Bible in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. This is what it says. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was miod good, very good. So if you're actually giving a definition of loving God with your strength, biblically speaking, you would say it like this. It means you love God with your veriness or your muchness, which is another way of saying you love God with everything you've got, everything outside of your body, your wealth, your belongings, your resources, your time. 
fact, what's interesting, the Aramaic, the Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Bible actually translate this word, strength, to mean wealth. And it is your wealth. But it's more than that. It is your resources. It's your stuff. It's your time. It is everything you have. Now, I can't possibly zoom in to every subject today. So as we talk about loving God with our strength, I want to do something. I want to talk about everybody's favorite subject on planet Earth. Loving God with your money, your resources. And you go, why talk about money? Some of you are going, I actually thought I liked Brian, and now he's talking about money. But here's why. Do you know Jesus speaks more about money than almost any subject in the Bible? In fact, there is a story of Warren Buffett. I don't know if you uh, read much about Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world. There's a story he talks about when he was 10 years old that captured his heart and his imagination. He said that when he was 10 years old, he went with his father on this business trip. His father was entertaining these two wealthy clients. And he said he watched one of his father's clients, the way he carried himself, the way people noticed when he walked into a room, the way he was treated. He said there was one moment at dinner where he was literally, this client, picking out the type of tobacco leaf he wanted for a cigar. And he pointed to the waiter and said, I want that one. The waiter rolls up this cigar, gives it to him, lights it. And he's just watching the favoritism, the pampering that this guy gets. And it said in one of his books when he spoke about this, he said, at that moment, I thought, whatever gets me that kind of life, I want that. At 10 years old, at that particular moment, he decided he wanted to be the richest man in the world. There was a vision that captured this boy's heart at 10 years old. And the reason this gripped me so much is that I believe if you don't have a healthy vision for what your life is going to be about, the world will write a story for you. If you don't have a vision about money and resources and stuff, Jesus says, you're going to fall prey to whatever the world writes. In fact, it's interesting. In the Bible, the reason this is such a big subject and part of the reason I believe Jesus speaks about money so much, in the Bible, there are only two things, two things you and I are called to run from. Everything else in the Bible, you and I are called to fight against. Now, any idea what those two things are, you probably have a good guess on what one is. The love of money, yes, indeed. Fear, close. Temptation, very, very close. It is actually uh, sexual immorality. And so it is the idea that you run from these things. Why? Because these things can be like quicksand or a black hole that just consumes you. And greed can overtake you. And one of the things that I just want to brag about this church is, is that this church in a culture of consumerism actually has a spirit of generosity. It has been so transformative to walk in this church as a, as a newbie, if you will, and to see the spirit of generosity where you give of your time and your resources and your money. In fact, one of the things I love is that even in ministry, the kids and children's ministry, there's a, there's a, intentionality to create a spirit of generosity, even in kids. Kevin Nunnery, who's our high school pastor, was telling me, I didn't even know this. Uh, you might have seen this before if you drop off your kids. It is actually a thing where you can uh, tithe, you can teach your kids to tithe. No joke, when I saw this, I thought it was a trash can. But it's like people are teaching their kids how to tithe, and the, the church is actually wanting kids, even at an early age, to understand a spirit of generosity and a culture of consumerism. Kevin Nunnery, as I mentioned, was telling me that him and his wife, 
They actually uh, get their four-year-old to do chores, like fold towels so they can give their child quarters so that they can tithe on Sundays. Isn't that awesome and convicting as a parent? I mean, I have four-year-olds. If my kids don't bite each other, that's success in the Jones household. And Kevin's got his kids pressure washing the house, paying taxes, (laughs) doing all these things. You know, I'll say this. um, One of the things that when I first got here, JC and some others were talking to you about a moving over our resources. Uh, We were using a different giving platform. Um, Usually when people do giving platforms, it's an excuse for people to not give because they got to do an extra step. And it's so easy to just go, hey, I'll just get to that later. Do you know that the the giving platform we worked with, when we moved over the resources, uh, this giving platform said they had worked with over 600 churches and Brookwood Church was one of the best, one of the best churches they have ever worked with. And they were talking about the spirit of generosity that you guys have. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just amazing when you think about it? fact, what they said was, usually when people move over, the giving declines, but the reoccurring giving actually went up 11.3% because people just go, hey, we get this giving thing. And that's why Jesus speaks not about just giving of money. It is about a spirit of generosity that affects not just money, but the way you give your time and your resources and your life. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 20, do not... Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up, store up, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In essence, what Jesus is wanting us to make sure is with our one life, We don't think that the end goal, or heaven forbid, we teach our kids that the end goal of life is to make a bunch of money so that you and I could retire comfortably and then buy a bunch of stuff or travel around the world. There's nothing evil about that. But dare I humbly submit, that vision is no different than every other person who wouldn't even call themselves the follower of Jesus. And dare I say what Jesus is saying is that vision, that vision is simply put, just too small. Because in essence, what he's saying is, as great as the new boat is, as great as the new car is, as great as the new home is, those things cannot fundamentally alter your life and fill you up. Jesus is not saying they're bad, but isn't it so, so easy to be consumed by those things? I mean, I'm a pastor, and there are moments where I catch myself so consumed about stuff in this world. And so this isn't Jesus shaming us. He's going, if you are not careful... The default setting of your life will be to be consumed by the stuff of this world. And you go, well, why do you think that? Because if it wasn't the default setting, he would not have to say, do not store up treasures. If everyone naturally was just wired in such a way that we focused on the kingdom of God instead of getting sucked in to greed and money and possessions, Jesus wouldn't have to say, don't store up for yourself stuff. Instead, he's speaking to this because apparently it was such a prevalent issue in that culture that people, followers of his, were getting uh, sidetracked by what really mattered in their life. And in essence, what he's saying is these treasures don't really last. In In fact, I heard this definition of treasure that I forewarn you, I got from someone else. It is amazing and depressing all at the same time. He said, treasure is simply, wait for it, junk waiting to happen. Junk waiting to happen. 
And, and I just was convicting thinking about all the things that I think are so important right now. And in essence, what Jesus says, moth, vermin, rust, garage sales, you know, auctions, other things, these things get handed down after a while. He's going, hey, this is not worthy of your one life. You think about people, the Egyptians. What, what do they do? They built a pyramid so they could take all their stuff with them. And you look at that and you go, that's ridiculous. But at the end of the day, my wife and I were moving. The amount of stuff we acquire throughout the times, we had storage units just to stage our house from all the stuff we have. And if you're not careful, it's not bad, it's not evil stuff. You just get so consumed by the stuff here. And Jesus goes, that is not a good return on investment. Do not use your one life on stuff that simply put does not last. But here's what's important, because for years, I struggled with church, just being honest. I found myself as a Christian with a lot of ambition and a lot of drive, and it felt like every time I went to church, it was like the end goal was to be a nice person, or the end goal was to give up a bunch of stuff or not sin. And I'm like, I'll do the church thing on Sunday, but this is not a vision worthy of my whole life. And you know what's interesting? There are statistics that show for the first time in human history, first time in human history, more men than ever before are less engaged with church. In fact, young men, it's, it's like an epidemic. Young men are disengaged with church. And I think part of that is, is because there is a lack of vision of what Christianity and the kingdom of God is all about. Can I say to you, if you find the kingdom of God boring or dull, it's because you have not awakened to the story of Jesus and the life he's inviting you into. God is not scared of your ambition. And dare I say this, which is probably something many people haven't heard, whatever your ambition is, it's not enough. It does not intimidate Jesus. Jesus is not intimidated and he's not trying to squelch your ambition. That's actually Buddhist thinking, that you're trying to suppress all desire. Jesus wants your ambition, but he wants it pointed at the right thing, which is his kingdom. And he goes, hey, it's not a good return on investment to spend your life acquiring a bunch of stuff that fundamentally cannot satisfy you. I want your ambition to be focused on me and the kingdom of God because every word you speak in my name, every dollar you give, every encouraging word you give in the name of Jesus, there is an eternal value in it. Neither moth nor rust nor anything can consume this stuff. See, I always love meeting with people who, who have a PhD in a particular field. Because if you get around people with a PhD, you ask them questions, and it's like they see things other people don't see in that particular field. And, and might I humbly submit what I believe God has called us to do is to be a PhD student when it comes to the Bible and the Word of God. Because if you and I struggle and we think that ultimately God is just trying to get you to be nice and not sin, then we've got to open up the word of God and start to catch a vision of not just God's love, but who we are and what we're called to do in the power in the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, let me just say this. Do you really know who you are in Jesus? Do you understand your identity? I'm not asking, do you know God loves you? A lot of people know that, but do you know who you are? In fact, there are hundreds of statements in the Bible that describe you if you're a follower of Jesus. Let me just give you a few. The Bible says you are God's possession. You are God's child. You are God's craftsmanship. You are God's friend. You are God's temple. You are God's co-heir. You are God's co-labor. I'm just saying, if you give me a little response, I might get out on time. So, so I'm gonna try this again, all right? 
because I don't think you're getting it, okay? So if you want to get out on time, I'm going to just read this one more time. Do you know who you are in Jesus? Thank you. You are God's possession. You are God's child. You are God's craftsmanship. You are God's friend. You are God's temple. You are God's co-heir. You are God's co-laborer. You are God's witness. You are God's soldier. You are God's chosen. You are light in the darkness. You are healed by his stripes. You are a city on a hill. You are more than a conqueror, and you are set free from sin. Thank you, thank you. Like some people who want to get out on time, amen. (laughs) The reason I read this to you is this. I have never, ever met anyone who understands how richly blessed they are in God and does not give generously. If you have that, if God has bestowed that on you, then things like giving your money, it's not the church trying to squeeze stuff out of you. It's the overflow of a heart transformed by the goodness and the generosity of God. And it is amazing what I will do, and you have to do your own hard work. It is amazing what I will do to protect my heart from giving. It's amazing the excuses I have made to not foster a spirit of generosity. And the truth is, honestly, some people don't give because you've never been in church that long, or maybe you got busy and you've never been invited into the idea of generosity. If that's you, there's absolutely no shame. But can I say, what God wants is for you to take a next step with giving. In fact, just to get my conscience clear, I was, I'm preaching on the subject of giving and I realized uh, the last few weeks I haven't given according. In fact, uh, we usually do the online giving and I realized I'm preaching a subject on giving and I have not brought my full tithes. So that's my full confession before you and God. And so maybe that's where you're at. Is it just life gets busy. But there's another reason Jesus says sometimes we rebel against giving. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about this. You have this in your bulletins as well. But what you treasure, your heart follows. What you treasure, Jesus is saying, your heart follows. Let me just make this illustration right here. You don't have to tell people what you're passionate about, people who are around you. It just comes out. If you're passionate about finances, we can spend a day with you and the moment we start talking about spending, you're gonna give us some key or tool and it's gonna show us very quickly you're passionate about finances. If you're passionate about sports, and dare I say, I know a lot of you are passionate about college teams and just from the outside, it's a bit cultish, story for another time. (laughs) Go Cowboys. But you don't have to tell people, oh, I'm passionate about this sports team. We know it. You decorate your cars. You buy colors of that car. You put those things all over your house because you're passionate about things. You, you, have a, you, have a, you treasure those things. Your heart follows those things, and thus you invest time and resources into those things. You've never seen someone putting like a Clemson bumper sticker on their car or getting one of those paws that they put on their mantle, and you go, what are you doing? And they just go, well, I'm trying to fall in love with Clemson. People only put that stuff up after they're in love with that because they treasure that thing. And then the byproduct is their heart follows that thing and they invest time and money. Why do I tell you this? If you really treasure God, if I treasure God, our heart will follow him and thus our finances, our time, we will invest in God. And so here's a really challenging statement that I've been forced to live in. I cannot say in my own heart, God, you are first if you are not first in my finances. It doesn't work that way. Jesus says himself, what you treasure, your heart will follow. 
And this is important because I don't love speaking on this stuff because anytime you talk about this, there can almost be people misinterpret things. And you go, oh, well, Brian, I don't want Brookwood to be one of those churches that we connect giving and, and the love of God. But yet Jesus says this right here in Matthew six twenty one: what you treasure, your heart will follow. And what your heart follows, you'll be invested in. You'll spend time, you'll spend money, you'll spend resources. So this is not the shame of God. It's the invitation to wake up because it is so, so easy to get consumed by the stuff that is right in front of us. And Jesus is going, that's too small of a thing. Invest in what matters. My kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom. Now, let me just say this. If you and I really believe as well, and I struggle with this, so this is just, uh, you know, on me as well. But if I really believe that every gift comes from God, and all I'm doing is stewarding, it would be easier for me to give. Do you believe that? In fact, I'm not, you didn't give me a good enough response, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna use an illustration here. No, it's too late now. You, can, you got a chance to redeem it later. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out, everybody here, and I'm gonna be watching, so don't, don't be that person that doesn't do this. I want you to pull out your wallet, or I want you to pull out, what, is, what, is it, what, is, what do women have? Is it a pocketbook? What is that? Purse. What'd you say? Okay. Pull out your wallet, pull out your wallet. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Pull out your wallet. And uh, I want you to pass it to the person next to you, okay? I want you to pass it to the person next to you. And so, hey, let me come down here. Oh, let me. This is too strong. Do you have one? Well, give it to me then. All right, here you go. All right, so I got this wallet, which is way better than what I gave because I'm seeing some money. I will forewarn you, I have a $10 gift card to Sonic and some 10% off coupons. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, you got everyone's wallet. In just a second, I'm going to call the ushers down. You think I'm joking, huh? I'm going to call the ushers down, and I want you to give whatever your heart desires. Some of you are going, this is going to be my biggest tithe yet. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. I love this sermon. All right, you can give your money back because you'll stop paying attention. Give your wallets back. Make sure it's all there. It's a church for crying out loud. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sorry, you got the short end of the deal. Now, you get this, but the truth of the matter is you can see that if I really believed every gift I had been given comes from above, it will not be hard for me to give that money. It'd be very easy for, you to, for me to give your money. But the point is this, is that there are times the unsavory secret for me is I don't always believe that everything I have comes from God. I go, well, I woke up. I'm the one who did those things. I'm the one who worked hard on this. But here's the question. Where did you get that ability? Where did you get that resource? Where did you get that opportunity? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, amen? And if I believe that, then it will change the way I operate with money. In fact, let me just show you, there are three ways you can approach money. You have this in your program. Three ways you can approach money. What's mine is mine. That's selfishness, and that's what I just said. I did this, it's mine, I earned it. But here's the second way. What's yours is mine, that's stealing, unless it's the government, they just call that socialism. <laughs> too soon, too soon. <laughs> you can't give your loudest clap for that, come on. I was so happy with you guys, and then you did that. Um, and here's the third one. 
What's mine is God's, and this is simply stewardship. This is simply stewardship. You know, uh, my wife and I had a moment. We sold our house when we were in Dallas. We were coming to, to Brookwood, and we sold our house, and uh, we, we made a decent amount of profit off that house. I'll never forget where I was. I was driving down this road called FM 544, and I'm, I'm I'm just driving down the road, and I felt like God spoke to me. Now, just a side note here, if you're new to Christianity or you're trying to engage with God speaking to you, it's never like God, at least for me, speaks in an audible way. It's usually this very subtle, gentle whisper. I think of it almost like a thought that pops in my mind. And a lot of times you can doubt it because it's so subtle. But I have this thought that pops in my mind. I'm driving down this road, and God says to me, what are you going to give on the sale of your house? Now, this is my honest response. I said, well, I hadn't planned on giving you anything. And I knew that wouldn't be a sufficient answer for God, so I said, let me pray about it. You can tell God to pray about it. Come on. And so I I go and I pray, and I felt like God was saying to me, "Uh, why don't you give 10% of the interest you make? So I'm like, great, let's do this. We sell the house. And, and the 10% was a decent amount of money. And so we, had, we bought this house that we have, and, and we had all these renovations to do, all these renovations. And I started looking at the budget we had for renovations and all the renovations, and I thought, there's no way we can even do these. In my heart in that moment, I thought, God, are you sure you want me to give the 10%, maybe like six, seven, something like that? But I just felt like as I sat with it, my wife and I talked about it, no, no, we're going to be faithful. We're going to trust God with this. The reason I tell you this is, is we go get a quote on a couple projects. We get this quote back. We go get a second quote. The second quote comes back, and it is half the price of the first quote we had. And here's what just overwhelmed me. It was within $200 of the amount that we had given when we felt prompted to give. 200 bucks. Isn't that amazing? You just think. And the reason I say this is this is very important. I'm not teaching prosperity gospel. But I think there's another danger we have. Some people go, I don't believe in prosperity, but you almost believe in poverty gospel, like God wants you to be poor. That's not what he wants. In fact, what I would say to you is this. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot outgive a generous God. You cannot do it. You cannot outgive a generous God. And so what he might not do is bless you financially, but I believe he'll bless you. Why is it that when people give, everybody I've ever met who has a spirit of generosity, they'll talk about just the blessing and the overflow from God. Sometimes it's relational blessing. Sometimes it's emotional blessing. Sometimes it's favor. Sometimes it's connection. Sometimes it's relational and marriage-oriented. But the point is, you don't give because you want something from God. You give out of a transformed heart. I never expected God to do one thing. And if he didn't give us that money, I have enough for an eternity to be grateful for. But the truth is, for whatever reason, God in his kindness invites you and I to test him with stuff like this to see if he would not be generous and faithful. He is that kind of God. And let me just encourage you with this. Sometimes we struggle to give because we go, hey, we're not in the season to give financially. I remember when my wife and I first got married, we we, honestly, for a while, we weren't giving. I mean, we were so poor when we got married. We joked about this the other day. We ate ramen noodles and Kool-Aid almost every single night. I don't know if I had that feeling, but but yes, if you're on that, it, it gets better. But we, we, we just, we did not have resources. And for the first bit, we were just like, man, I don't know if we can give. And, and we didn't maybe give the full tithe, but we just started as best as we could to develop this muscle of stewardship. Because here's the problem I have when people say, and I've said this before, oh, one day when I get a bunch of stuff, it'll be easier to give. I don't think that's true. I think it's actually harder to give the more you get. Because what happens is, Jesus says, this almost consumeristic love of money becomes a quicksand trap 
and it starts to affect you. And it really is not about the amount of money you give. It's about the spirit and the generosity you have in your heart. In fact, Jesus, remember he talks about the woman who gives these two little coins. And he says it's more than anyone else gave. In fact, listen to what it says in Luke 21, verses 2 and through 3. Then a poor widow came by, dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. I love this. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them because it came from a spirit of generosity. It was a spirit of sacrifice where everyone else did not give out of a spirit of sacrifice or spirit of generosity. It was just abundance. It was leftover. And so he's challenging this in the midst of it. And then he goes on to say this in in verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. What is going on here? Now, there's a couple things going on. First of all, in this culture, in the ancient Jewish culture, they had this phrase called the evil eye. And they really believed that, that there was, there was a, a person who was greedy or envious that would not help a brother out. And it was almost this evil eye of greed that took over. In fact, um, if you go into countries today, like if you go to Israel or if you go to certain Arab countries, you might see in a gift shop, there's like an amulet that has like a, a hand in it and an eye. Some cultures still believe that this is an evil eye. And really what happens is it's a spirit that just sort of takes over of greed and consumerism. Some people believe Jesus is speaking about that, but also what he's really doing primarily here is this. Remember what Jesus said? He said, so we we store up for ourselves treasures on, not on earth, but on heaven. How do you do that? If you're in a spot where you're going, I don't really find myself desiring Jesus. I'm not storing up treasures. Notice what he says. If your eyes are good, meaning if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, his word, if they're fixed on him, then it will be easy for you to be generous. But if you spend your life so fixed on the stuff of this earth, if you spend your life consumed by that, it's going to be hard to be generous. So so let me just ask you this. This is the challenge for me. What are you spending your week focusing on? Let me just say this on a side note. This is why church is so important. If you don't come to church every week, I don't know how you are going to fix your eyes on God and store up your treasures in heaven because everything else around you is programmed to get you to focus on here and now. That's the benefit. I mean, I'm a pastor and I could not operate without coming to church weekly because there's something about worshiping God with people who are like-minded. There's something about opening up the scripture and hearing something that's countercultural that you cannot get And you cannot be focused on God without it. And so there's an invitation to do this. But then throughout the week after you attend church, it doesn't work if you spend every day on social media comparing yourself to other people. It almost unworks what you got on Sunday. If you spend all day watching TV shows and coveting other people's stuff, then what happens, I'm a pastor. I was on a retreat a little while ago and this pastor's house was great and I caught myself going, I don't have a lake house. And I'm having to repent of that because it's so easy to be caught up in the stuff of this world. And so there's not shame. It's an invitation to go, if you're struggling, get your eyes on the word of God. Open this up and catch a greater vision and go, hey, I don't want to be like that person. I want to be like Gideon. I want to be like James. I want to be like Peter. I want to be like Deborah. I want to be like Mary. And so there's an invitation in the midst of this to get your eyes on what matters most. Jesus goes on to say this in verse 25. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one, 
Love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. Notice how he closes with this. You cannot serve both God and money. This, if you miss the heart of what I'm about to say here, you'll miss the heart of this whole talk. This is very, very important. Jesus is not saying rich people are bad, poor people are good. It has nothing to do with being rich and poor. It has everything to do with being greedy or generous. That's what it's about. And you know as well as I do, there are people that I know that are rich and very generous. There's also rich people who are incredibly greedy. But the flip side of this is true as well. There are people you know probably and I know who are poor and they're incredibly greedy. There are also people who are poor and incredibly generous. So this is not about fostering being rich or poor. It's about where is the spirit of generosity in your life? And money, I think, is one of those litmus tests. If I'm holding so tightly to money, then it's, it's, a, it's an indication that probably somewhere my eyes are not storing up treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust consume. It's probably a, an awareness that somewhere there's not the generosity that God is calling me to have. And so there's just an invitation to be aware of that. And let me just free up this with some of you. I believe some of you are wired in such a way. Some of you are very impressive when it comes to business. And you're wired to make money. And it's almost like we've struggled in the church to say, if that's your gift, use it. Part of how God has wired certain people, there was a person that wanted to work at the church that I was a part of. She started praying, and she was about to take a job, and she said this to me. She said, I just know God's given me these skills of business, and if I take a job here, I'm going to miss the opportunity to invest in the kingdom financially. She is one of the most talented business people I've ever met, and part of what she feels called to do is make a bunch of money and bless other people. So let me just free you up with that. I never heard that, and so growing up, I always thought, you know, it's like, you got to do all these things for Jesus. you got to join a church. you got to be in ministry. And that's not what Jesus is inviting us into. Some of you are wired in such a way where that's the gift. But all of us, wherever we are, everybody in this category is called to take a next step. In fact, let me just say this. You go, this is great, Brian. You're talking about fixing your eyes on heaven. What do I do with that? Well, I believe everybody in this room, everybody in this room can take a next step. In fact, in your uh, bulletin, you'll see right here, there's a card right here. And... Um, what I want to invite you to do is whatever that looks like, there's an invitation to take a next step. And so some of you would go, hey, I've never really thought about giving, never really been on my radar. We've been busy. We're not really connected to a church. And even if this is not your home church, do this at your home church. But I just invite you, maybe you're not giving anything. There's no shame, absolutely no shame. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is no condemnation. But part of the invitation is going, hey, maybe I'm called to give something. And so I'm just going to throw a few bucks in. In fact, in a little bit, we'll close out with an offering. You can throw a few bucks in. You can do that later. But some of you go, that's my next step. I'm just going to give something. Others of you, you're in this spot where your next step is you go, I'm giving something. I give occasionally, but what God's calling you is to give something specific. So you go, hey, I'm going to give 3%. I'm going to give $400, $800, whatever that next step is. You go, I'm going to give something specific. Some of you are in that spot. You've already talked about what it is that you give. And maybe the invitation for you this morning is you move from specific to tithe, the biblical tithe. You go, hey, I'm just going to give 10% of my salary. I'm going to be faithful to God in this area. And I had a friend of mine that challenged me with this fourth point, and boy, did I hate it. Because he said, hey, you've been giving your tithe, but there's another invitation. He said, it's tithe the Spirit-led. 
Because the truth is, a lot of us, if you lead any Bible studies, you'll pray about what Bible study you do. You'll pray about where you serve. And so he said, why do you not pray about what you give? And so there was an invitation to think, hey, I'm giving 10%, but it's not done. Maybe God's calling me to bless someone else or do something else. And that's where that spirit-led giving even awakened me to tithing a portion of our house. And so I don't know what that looks like. Here's the, here's the key that I want to say. It's not about the amount. It's about the spirit of giving. And some of you, it's intimidating to think about spirit-led giving or tithe. It doesn't matter the amount. It's just take your step of faithfulness. Because if you don't start being faithful right now, you'll wait a lifetime saying one day, one day, one day. So what I want to do is just very simply, this is between you and God. You don't have to turn this in. You keep this. This is just between you and God. This could be a conversation with your spouse. It could be a conversation with your family. If you've got kids, I encourage you, have this conversation. But what I want you to do is they're just going to sing this song as the offering's being passed, and here's what I want you to do. I just want between you and God to think about what your next step is. Again, you don't have to turn this in. We're not gonna get your information. This is between you and God. But just think about, hey, God, what are you challenging me to do? Take this moment and do that. In fact, if you're willing to take your next step, let me just pray for the offering as well. But if you're willing to take your next step, whatever that is, I want you to do something. Would you just hold this card up right here as a, as a sign that you're willing to take your next step? If you're in a spot where you're just going, hey, I wanna be faithful to God, whatever that looks like. I just wanna pray over this time that it wouldn't be just obligation, but it'd be a spirit of invitation, a spirit of generosity. So God, I, I thank you for people that are just taking their next step. And so I pray that even as we sing this song and we just have a few moments to reflect before we get busy and tackle the day's task, I pray that you would just guide us and you would speak to us about what it means to love you with our strength, particularly our resources. And so we hold this card up as our way of saying, God, we want you first in our life. And so part of that has to do with our finances. And so we say this in your name, amen. They're gonna sing, take one minute, couple minutes, think about that, and then I'll close this out.
As we close, let me just pray, but let me say this first. Uh, I just want to remind you that God is not a needy God. He owns everything. And I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, my daughters are four. My son is eight. Uh, when I come home every single day, my son sits on the couch, and most of the time he's not even aware when I walk in because he's watching TV or playing some game. But my daughters, they swarm me. And they're like little gremlins. They're just pulling on me and connecting on me. The other day I come home and both of my daughters had painted me a picture. And they just handed it to me. And I'm telling you, I, I never needed them to paint me a picture. But I'm telling you what they did when they handed me that gift, it moved, the, it moved my father heart. And so here's what I want you to know. This is the danger that I have to make sure we avoid is that God's not needy and he's not going who's going to give. It's just what happens is when you and I choose to give, we have an opportunity to move the Father heart of God because he's going. He's going, my children are mindful of me. 
And so can I just encourage you with that thought? There is just a humbling thought that you and I, the God of the universe, we can move the Father heart of God by the spirit of our generosity. So that's what this whole thing is about. To love God with our strength means we love him with our resources, and part of that is our generosity. Brookwood, you are amazing at this, and so I thank you for the way you've even encouraged me in this. But may we be people who constantly, constantly, constantly fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and make sure we store up for ourselves treasures where neither moth and rust consume because it's a better return on investment. Amen? Okay, let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your many blessings. We pray today, God, that that you would just speak to each and every one of us about what a next step looks like. God, again, I just want to pray blessings over this church and the way they have been faithful to love you with their resources, their time, and their money. It has blessed me in a short amount of time. And God, I know that it moves the Father heart, your Father heart, to see your children stepping up and going, here, this is for you, Dad. And so I just pray blessings. I pray favor. I pray that you would strengthen the spirit of generosity even to new levels. Do that first in my life, God. But I pray that you would do that in every one of us so that the name of Jesus would be exalted and we would spend our lives ambitious for the right thing, namely the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Everyone agreed and said amen. Hey, if you need prayer, you need anything, you can come down here. We have care pastors that would love to pray for you. Blessings, you are dismissed. Have a great day.